0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm here. (laughs) Yeah?
0: How about you? (laughs) I'm
1: here, too. I'm actually, I'm doing what you were. I'm teaching on Zoom now, programming.
0: It's it's the worst, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just got interviewed today for an hour and a half about, you know, teaching field camp online um, this summer for somebody's NSF proposal grant. I mean, um, yeah. I. It can be really good, but it's not fun.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, my biggest problem is I, like, when I speak – I think you can tell us from the podcast. I don't know, but if any of you ever had me in a class, like I very much depend on the feedback that I get, not only from faces, but also from like reactions to bad jokes. Like, okay, how many of you are asleep? <laughs> how many of you are lost? Um, and on Zoom, like I've really had problems even getting people to just turn their cameras on. So
0: I talked about this with the researcher um, that I was speaking to, and I said I didn't realize the first week of camp. Like, I didn't realize how much I relied on body language to determine if students understood something or not. Not even facial expression, just like body language when they're working a problem. And it was a lot. I relied on that a lot. And so it's, and if you can't get someone to turn on their camera, it's impossible to know.
1: It's true. And it's also very hard when somebody's like, you know, in every class, you always got one or two machines that are just possessed, right? uh, (laughs) That like won't install or won't something's terribly wrong. And normally, you have to sit there and beat your head against it for a little bit. Uh, It's really hard, because we are not allowed to take remote control of their machines.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Um, for okay. some security purposes.
0: Right, So
1: we're relying on, like, screenshots of error messages that are getting sent to us in Slack.
0: That sounds like the worst thing ever.
1: It's very difficult to <laughs> troubleshoot.
0: Mm. Oh, and it's also, there's not, you can only have one thing going on, you know? And so I, I'm sure in these classes, sometimes, like, one of you is troubleshooting with somebody while someone else is continuing to do something else right
1: yeah so currently there is actually three of us um so it's one instructor to four students
0: mm. uh, mm-hmm. and
1: somebody's presenting a lesson and then the other two are just desperately trying to put out fires
0: yeah in, and that, it, in slack and that's even harder to do when you're in the virtual environment i feel like like you kind of want to focus on the one thing that's happening and yeah mm-hmm
1: and we're also complicated by, you know, we have time zones everywhere. We have people getting up at midnight.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I I luckily only had two time zones to deal with um, for field camp. I can't, I can't imagine um, some of my colleagues had four to deal with. You know, but you guys have a big spread. <laughs>
1: I think we have eight time zones. I think we're spanning across 13 hours or something ridiculous like Un- that.
0: That's unbelievable. Yes. And half the people are going to be unhappy. There's nothing you're going to do about that.
1: Right. Um, but it's it's interesting. Uh, we're talking about machine learning and geoscience. So that's fun.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hot topic for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And something that we should talk about on here at some point. But that's not what we're going to talk about today because we have a Dee 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 yeah. current event
0: <laughs> uh, i was really hoping you were going to do the weather service <objections> <laughs> 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 noise um my brother-in-law that was the ringtone for when i called him for a long time <laughs> it still might be <laughs> <laughs> so i would just randomly call him just to watch him Yeah, wake up and freak out. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Always at 1 o'clock in the morning.
0: Correct. That is correct. He's like, oh, my God, I thought something was... I'm like, I know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there was some pretty big weather that uh, went down and um, definitely personally affected my almost immediate family (laughs) in the Midwest, right? That big weird word that now everyone knows how to pronounce. Not Isaias, but... (laughs) Ratio.
1: right so august 10th uh there was a incredibly long-lived derecho that moved across the the upper midwest and so you know i'm looking at at some time stamps here uh from in a a radar image that i sent you uh, starting at 8 a.m and Going all the way to eight PM, so we're looking at a storm that traveled across two states in the span of about twelve hours, and brought with it just widespread destruction.
0: Well, not two; it we went through four in that time period. Because we oh, got okay. yeah
1: two normal sized states. We got a couple of small <laughs> vertical ones there.
0: Our apologies to everyone in the Upper Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> John's from the vast state of Arkansas, so he doesn't, <laughs> um, I used to call It's not like Tennessee.
1: That state, you know, it needs to be double-spaced a little bit. It's like the sideways version of that.
0: So true. Um, yeah, which, we'll get back to that time span when we talk about the event, because I have some issues with some things that went on during the reporting of that, but anyway. Um, yeah, so this was, um, this event, derecho means straight, In Spanish, right? And so this is like a straight line wind event. Um, Everyone was saying like hurricane force winds. I don't know. Hurricane winds are not that much to me, right? 76 miles an hour. It is a lot, but.
1: Right. Tornadic (laughs) winds are so much worse. Right. Yeah, Uh, exactly.
0: So like it doesn't impress me when you say hurricane force winds. Um, But this one was bad. It was like 100 mile an hour winds um, that were these. I heard
1: the word herkinetic. Which I was fascinated <laughs> by somebody actually saying that in the reporting.
0: Hurricane, mm-hmm. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, that's a uh, wow. <laughs> okay. I think the word deratio sounds more impressive than hurricane force. But anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, I had an interesting question about this. Um, one of the meteorology professors a couple of weeks ago had asked me what the difference between synoptic scale and mesoscale was. You know, we talked about time and size, basically. Right. And then she's like, okay, so the duration that went through then was a, and I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> it was really long-lived. So, I mean, both sort of.
1: <laughs> it is a mesosynoptic event.
0: Yes. Mm, mm, yes. A senezo scale. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so there, the- there
1: is the one meteorology textbook that has not been written yet. Ah. Synesio weather.
0: <laughs> I'm just gonna glue my synoptic and mesoscale books together. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Um, yeah. So this is pretty impressive and really uh, exciting, right?
1: It is, and you know, these events—they're really, to me, they're like thermodynamics in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and dynamics too. Th- they're really quite impressive the way they form, the way they live so long. Uh, and what they do, they're actually relatively common, though I don't know that the word is said that much, uh, other than when it's super destructive like this.
0: Uh, yeah, so this is one thing that got to me during all this reporting of it, is everyone's freaking out, and it's like, it's deratio season. And maybe this is because I worked at the Severe Storms Laboratory, and the um, Patrick Burke, the meteorologist that was right across the hall from me, he did his master's thesis on deratios. So maybe... It was just more common around the nerds I hung out with. (laughs) But everyone was freaking out. But this really wasn't... It was very destructive. But it wasn't unusual in terms of timing or even strength or anything.
1: I I would venture to call it textbook or garden variety.
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the media did a really poor job with this because they freaked out like this... has never happened before and it's not like a hurricane that occurs in january you know this this is deratio season so this isn't a particularly yeah unique event although obviously it was very exciting and there will be lots of things written about it
1: right and you know it was it was covered because it was long-lived destructive and crossed many highly populated areas um
0: I don't know if I'm going to go highly populated, but yes.
1: Okay, many <laughs> metropolitan areas.
0: Ish. Yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> there were lots of fields too, but it hit some, mm-hmm. it hit some population centers. Uh, the other piece of really just abysmal reporting that I heard, and this is trying, I, I see what they were trying to convey, um, but this is a case of words matter, and you should think about what you're going to say, is they said ratios can produce triple-digit wins, I'm fine with that statement. Okay. Mhm. And they said or more.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: If we get more than triple-digit winds out of anything, I don't want to be here any longer.
0: I mean, on Earth or? <laughs> right. <laughs> like
1: uh,
0: on like I think they
1: were trying to say 100 miles an hour or plus,
0: more. Plus, correct. Which but... is an accurate statement,
1: but triple-digit or more. I mean, as soon as these things start producing sonic booms from the <laughs> gust fronts, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm out. <laughs> uh,
0: no, you're not. You're going to be sitting there and you're... Dominator, right at the <laughs> right at the boundary, but yeah, no, yeah, that is correct. Yes, <laughs>
1: and I heard several several things like that. Anyway, that was just a, a little pet peeve on. Using
0: uh, yeah, I just, precise wording. It, it just, I mean, you can literally Wikipedia this and see that this isn't an unusual event. And I'm not saying this over and over to downplay it. I'm saying it because everyone acted like. This has never happened before, and I even heard some people. And this, this reporter got roasted on Twitter, Um, but he said something about we had no warning, and he was in Iowa. And it's like this storm had been going on since, like you said. I mean, what's this first radar?
1: Storm Prediction this. Center had issued a hatched area and a moderate risk ahead of it. I mean, like, it was it was discussed in SBC outlooks. It was so long. <laughs>
0: Exactly. And it's like, this is a nasty radar at 7 a.m. in Nebraska. So, like, to say that, like, we didn't even know this was going to happen. That's crazy.
1: Right. So, okay, you said that derecho is straight, uh, Mm -hmm. which can refer to, okay, yeah, straight line winds, or really to somewhat the shape of the storm.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a little more C-shaped, but, um, right. So, I mean, this isn't like this huge rotating if you're used to looking at storms, you know, you don't have this huge rotating updraft or anything. It's just this wall of craziness that comes at you with these triple digit or more (laughs) winds, Right. (laughs) Um, And it's, I mean, it's, you can have tornadoes within ratios, which that's when it really starts to get kind of scary. Right. But usually it's these straight line wind events with super heavy rains, which cause then flash flooding.
1: Right, so so let's think about this event for a second. You get a storm forming. You get an updraft, mm-hmm. and it's sucking in that warm, moist, juicy air.
0: It's gross and, Midwestern summer air, yes.
1: And in that case, like it, here, as the storm crossed Iowa, it moved into an area of 5,000 joules per kilogram cape.
0: <laughs> that's, that's lovely. Which is
1: an <laughs> insane amount
0: of Mm -hmm. convective
1: available potential energy, right? So these air parcels are just screaming upward. You literally get a piece of paper out and fan them, and they're going (laughs) to accelerate up and convect.
0: Yes, exactly, yeah, your own personal thunderstorm.
1: Right, so these air parcels are screaming upward. They're convecting, and you're getting this storm that then, because it's in an environment of moderate wind shear, is raining out behind the gust front that's formed by the storm. And that rain-cooled air is sinking and hitting the ground. And in systems like this that are so large and so long-lived, they actually create what we would call a meso-high. And so it's creating an area of high pressure behind the storm just because it's dense, cold air.
0: Yeah, that's impressive.
1: And so now you've got a high pressure behind the storm and a low pressure out in front of the storm so the air just screams back pushing. from the west to the east.
0: Exactly, just <laughs> pushing it along. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
1: And that's where you get this this fast moving line of storms and generally at the sort of the center of this line is where you get uh, the most air pushing out and you get a bow in the shape, and that's the the bow echo or the C shape that Shannon was talking about, where it's bowed in the direction of motion to the east.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, these are so. Lots of people say the word squall line, right? So maybe that's right. more common than derecho, even though now everybody's going to say derecho, right?
1: Right. Even if it's just a plain squall straight line. squall line with nothing exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Another thing that can cause these to to initiate, so you gotta have something to initiate convection, and you know what's initiating convection at seven a.m. <laughs> uh, it's not like we have huge differential heating or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. A lot of times, these get started by upper atmosphere divergence.
0: There you go, man. Gosh, that that was one of the best um, the best synoptic class lectures that we had is talking about and this is what i teach in all my intro classes is about like if you've got upper level divergence what's happening at the surface and vice versa right and so this is where you can start to put together all those things of oh so when i'm looking at all these like atmospheric level wind charts what are my 150 millibar winds what are my 200 millibar winds like you can guess where convection is happening without even looking at the radar just because of looking where upper level winds are diverging or converging.
1: Right. And so you've got that divergence, air starts moving up, it starts convecting, accelerating, it starts conditioning the environment out in front of it. Uh, In this case, we actually had, because of uh, cloud cover, some of it generated by this storm, we had differential heating, Mm -hmm. which generated a pseudo warm front that ran from west to east. And you could see it on the radar as this appendage sticking off the north side (laughs) of the storm as it was a pseudo warm front generated by that differential heating, and the storm moved directly along, along it. Along it, yeah. So it was like this little radar echo line sticking out that was an arrow of where the storm's going to go. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, that was really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually wasn't paying attention this day to this at all, and um, my husband called me and said, uh, "My dad said that the." That the tornado sirens are going off in Cedar Rapids. Um, so my in-laws own a flower shop in Cedar Rapids, and I have a picture um, of the. Uh, I I of course got on the radar, and I was like, oh, it just looks like a a severe. There's just a severe thunderstorm warning. I just was looking at my list. I wasn't looking at the actual you know radar yet, <laughs> and um, and then I got to looking and I'm like, oh, that's um that's pretty bad actually. (laughs) And then I looked at what was happening and what it had already done and thought, Oh yes, they should actually take cover. This is real bad. (laughs) So
1: yeah, mm -hmm.
0: it was, um, it was rather intense and they actually lost part of the roof to their flower shop. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a significantly old structure. It's like a historic building or something like that. And, um, so, yeah, they've got a lot of damage, and their house is in Iowa City. They had a lot of damage there. They just got power back yesterday or something.
1: Yeah, so that would be eight days after the storm, roughly? Yeah.
0: hmm So, yeah. And historically, really
1: a lot of these have occurred in early August. I mean, June, July, August is derecho season, but I found just looking back at historic derecho in the last 10 to 20 years, uh, Early August, like the first two weeks of August is really when we seem to hit these in the Midwest.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. It's like the last two weeks of May are when you don't want to live in Oklahoma. Yep. Or don't want to live in more Oklahoma like I do. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, they occur really all over. I mean, of course, this is the northern hemisphere duration season, but uh, a good chunk of the U.S. gets them... Some places less often, like once every four years. Actually, I live in the dead center of the bullseye, uh, where we get, on average, four every three years.
0: That's exciting.
1: Uh, and you're in the area of one every year. And this area that got hit is in the area of one ratio every year to one ratio every two years.
0: Um, so it's interesting because I guess the term ratio. I don't know if you looked at this, like, um, it comes, it was named from an event that was written about that went through Iowa in 1877. Yeah. So that was, um, that was interesting. And even more so, like, this isn't an unusual thing or location or time.
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> in no ways.
0: hmm Yeah. Uh,
1: it's just now we've got a lot better tools to inspect them and know that they're coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's weird to, like, wake up at 8 a.m. and have to worry about this. But I will say that it's been a weird storm season in general, and we mowed our lawn two days ago, which never happens in August. Like, our lawn should be fried crispy brown by now.
1: I know, I'm very disappointed by this it, that I'm still mowing.
0: So much mowing. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had all kinds of that, and just from listening to, you know, my my family's, because my sister-in-law lives in Iowa City and stuff too, um, yeah, they lost it. They have a big sycamore tree in their yard that's like, I don't know, 100 feet tall. It's huge. They lost like 30% of that, came down into the middle of the road, and yeah, apparently it was a really big mess. I mean,
1: there is a recorded gust of 120 from what I have seen.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. That uh, is hurricanic. Hurricanitic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: the, the other thing that you have to watch out, I mean, you mentioned embedded tornadoes. And one thing that a lot of people don't consider is, so you've got this storm that's bowing and moving. Uh, at the tips of the storm, you've, I mean, somewhere is the end of the storm, right? Right. Now, where we define that? Okay, it's like, where's the atmosphere stop? Yeah. But mm-hmm. somewhere we're at the end of the storm. And the relative motion of the storm to air sitting outside the storm is a shear motion. Mm-hmm. So on the northern end of the storm, anything north of the, the apex, uh, peaking at the, the northern tip of the storm, you have cyclonic rotation. So you can get these little bookend vortices and embedded tornadoes all along that cyclonic portion of the storm, especially out there at the end. And there are some pretty good couplets, one of which I know produced a tornado.
0: Yeah mm mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I've trained my husband for this because he's always like, ooh, are we going to be at the the bookend? Is that what you keep saying? Yeah, okay, are we going to be there? Because <laughs> he you knows, like, that's where I'm always like, uh, this is the bad spot. You don't want to be there. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um. At, you can get little downbursts in these weird little discrete cells that'll pop in and out of these duratios, too. And so, I mean, that's probably what that 120 mile an hour was, was just – one of those downburst winds, right? Yeah. Potentially. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And, I mean, the other cool thing about it, you see all these photos of these, the, the shelf cloud that that's coming in with these. Uh, the The boundary where you have inflow that turns and goes up into these storms is almost vertical.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: and that's part of what helps them live so long is they have this sharp boundary that really gives that high dynamic for that pressure gradient a a really sharp gradient right (laughs) and helps push these things along and make them live so long going along and just bulldozing that warm moist air up into the storm
0: right exactly it's not like the you know the summer thunderstorms, especially the monsoon storms where they go up and they downburst and they blow themselves out. Right. The whole system is trucking along enough that it can keep eating up all this, you know, warm, juicy air in front of it.
1: Right. And I think I may have asked this on here before, but I know it's been years. So there'll be lots of folks that haven't heard this question. And I'm curious if your opinion on it has changed. Uh, Hmm. mine has remained unknown. I think, uh, Is temperature a continuous quantity? Okay. So So, meaning that, like, I have a cold front. uh Well, okay, forget about weather for a second. Yeah. I I turn on the electric burner on my stove, Uh and I'm holding my hand up, and Uh I slam my hand onto the electric burner. Uh Does my hand go from 98 to 99 to 100 to 101 to 102 and so on? Yeah. until it gets to the temperature of the burner. Right. Or is it at the temperature of the burner?
0: I would say... Okay, so temperature is my favorite scientific definition just because I think it's it's such a cool, like, process. A measure of the kinetic motion of particles, right? That's what temperature is. Right. So, I mean, it has to be continuous. That's be- what I think, Because too. you have to pass through the rate of... Is, different obviously but you have to pass through all those things it's not like sublimation or something
1: that's sort of where i'm coming down on it as well uh but especially with things like these ratios and some Mm -hmm. really intense cold fronts i mean there are meteorological observations on the second time scale yeah that so there's a tower uh, well, there are several meteorological towers around now. For a while, there was a big one in Oklahoma, uh, but I know Texas Tech has one and some other folks now that where you've got, say, a, a 300-foot tower with instruments every X feet, let's say every 10 feet. Mm-hmm. There have been some frontal passages over instrumented towers that are collecting data at a high rate where you would believe the cold front is discontinuous. That because suddenly you're like, here you're in front of the front, here you're behind the front, and the temperature is much different. Second later,
0: it, this is the we've talked about this, um, before on the show, too. And this is an example of those, are those Chinook winds. Um, because right. like one of the colloquialisms about them, they said, you know, when you get hit by a Chinook, your horse's feet, your his front feet are fine. His back feet are, so these are um, the cold winds, you know, his back feet are in the mud and the wagon is frozen or something. Oh, no, no, snow eaters, they're hot winds, sorry. So his front feet are in the snow, his back feet are in the mud, and the wagon is kicking up dust. Right. Like, that was, that's like what they said about it. So it's such a short time period to do that. But still, like, physically it has to pass through everything, Right
1: that That's where I come down on it is thermodynamic, but again it's all a question of time scale right right, yeah, so it's um, like a
0: crazy rate it It'd have to be just crazy, but then this makes me think it's like one of those dumb questions that integration question of halfway to the wall and then halfway again and then <laughs> I mean,
1: that's sort of how temperature <laughs> works right so if you if you're solving a temperature like say you're solving a heat transfer problem, you know really with a given thermal conductivity and a given thermal gradient, you only change so fast, yeah hmm um mm-hmm. but the gradient has to be just absolutely insane here i mean it and, can be
0: knife sharp but it can still be a gradient yeah
1: and it's the same with winds too and you see that in the gust fronts from these storms where they're kicking up bugs and dirt and things out in front of the storm and then you get this little line on radar and you can watch it come towards you and it seems like one moment there's no wind and one moment there's a lot of wind yeah. But because physics, there has to be an acceleration in there.
0: There has to be. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Um, I found this old Duratio facts page from, <laughs> from the SPC. I don't know if you saw this.
1: <laughs> when you said old page, I, I'm envisioning some of the old SPC info pages that were like dark blue background and gold text. Is it oh, one it, of those? It,
0: it's tan with blue text. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so yes, it is one of those. It does say last updated 2018, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because it says the the word de- I keep getting stuck on this because I just thought it was so crazy that this reporter was literally going nuts, saying that he's never heard of this word before, and you know these things don't exist, and how did they never tell us about them? Um, but it said that even though it was coined in the 18 18- 80s it said that it wasn't until um, an 85 1980s paper that like re the word back into common usage by Bob Johns a dude who's house hmm. I used to go to <laughs> anyway hmm.
1: so I also found a really cool chart uh, and it's I think it came from either NOAA or FAA the this citation was a little sketchy uh it's on Wikipedia, I believe under the mesoscale convective system page uh I don't know how I missed this chart in in school, but so the x axis is wind shear below six kilometers above ground level, and okay. the y axis is cape
0: okay. and there are
1: blobs drawn on it as to what types of storms we statistically see to develop. Oh. In that environment. And the really crazy thing that I had to think about for a little bit is if you draw, it, it ends up being a curved line, not a straight line, but you can sort of draw a fiducial curve on this chart.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Because what quantity is, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I'm going to say conserved in log space, but that's not quite true. Mm. What quantity could you draw an ISO blah? On a Cape Shear chart, it's a common severe weather quantity that uses these two numbers.
0: A common severe that's using Cape and Shear. Right. Well, I don't know. You're killing me here. I don't know. You're not. It's not lifted. It's not sin or anything like that. Um, No. So it's the bulk Richardson number. Oh shoot! Oh, I see. And so you can
1: draw iso bulk Richardson's.
0: Yes. Okay. On this this chart. Oh, I got the chart now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I got gotcha. you. I see it.
1: It's really cool. And so if you look, like there was probably, I haven't looked, I, I would guess, given what I saw on some of the maps, I'm going to say 30 to 50 knots of shear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we said there, were 5, 000, there was 5,000 5, joules per kilogram of cape. Yeah. That puts it dead in bow echo.
0: Sure does. Bow echoes. Mm-hmm.
1: And it starts making sense because as you go to the right side on this chart, more wind shear, mm-hmm. you start going from pulse storms that do exactly what you said. They go up and they rain themselves out mm-hmm. to microbursts, like a multicellular wet microbursts. And then you keep going further and you get into supercells.
0: Right. Exactly. Because you've just got so much shear, you're turning all of it as opposed to letting it stay in this line and pushing it all at once. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And when you're down lower on the chart, you're in cool season events, like spring supercells or cool season durations. And when you're high on the chart in CAPE, you're in summer supercells, pulse hybrid stuff, all that. Mm-hmm.
0: And then low, you got these nor'easters, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Low CAPE, I mean. Right. Hmm. And it's very interesting.
1: So I've never seen this chart before until I was researching for this show, and... I really don't know why we're not plotting,
0: yeah, predicted
1: like, storm types on this more often.
0: Did Pierre CB do this, or or is this? I mean, it says graphics done using different publication sources. This is really right. cool. This
1: it's is his really own cool. work.
0: Yeah, it does. I but it why, does look
1: it. It looks yeah. like something that would have been in one of Howie Bluestein's textbooks.
0: I feel like. You should make students plot this. (laughs) Right. Like this is great. I would have killed for this thing. That's Mm -hmm. really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, this is a really cool chart.
1: Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Go look that up and do your do your reading about Bulk Richardson and Cape and Shear.
0: Yeah, Bulk Richardson. I didn't even. I haven't. I haven't said those words in a long time.
1: I mean, the fun thing about severe weather is we come up with, so we measure quantity. Oh, well, okay. We measure fundamental things like temperature, dew point, and pressure. Mm -hmm. And then we turn them into these derived mathematical quantities like CAPE and shear, which have Mm -hmm. physical meaning. Yeah. And then in the severe weather world, uh, we come up with all of these indexes, like Bulk-Richardson and the totals
0: index and and the total
1: totals index
0: love that total totals yeah this is like heating and cooling degree days i want to have a show about that because every time i try to teach myself i just forget it (laughs) because it's ridiculous there were 800 heating degree days today it's one day i don't understand this (laughs) right (laughs) um yeah we're real good at this stuff (laughs) don't even get us started on storm relative helicity
1: <laughs> yeah so well i mean that one is less bad than some of the i mean I'm not the saying these are bad
0: the chart for storm relative felicity is ridiculous to look at and, fair yeah <laughs>
1: um but that's one of these things that as meteorologists we do a lot of is sort mm-hmm. of come up with these rules of thumb because in a hindward looking sense it's all well and good to sit here and analyze the storm if you're the person that's the warning yeah. coordination sitting in the weather service office, yeah. or trying to do the forecast, you need a number where you're going, Mm, high bulk Richardson number today. We're going to have bow echoes.
0: It, it, correct. Um, the opening lines of Twister, when they're in the fake severe storms laboratory, which is not an entity that does forecasting, But um, and she goes, we've got, I'm going to, wow, I can't even believe I'm going to quote Twister. She's like, we got lifted indices from minus 6 to minus 10. It's going to be a hell of a day. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's what you would think if you saw that index, which is just a little thing that's printed on your skew t log p. Right. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> that's true.
1: And it's, as in any, I mean, in geophysics, we have these things too, where you can look at that one number and get at least a very generalized sense of what to expect.
0: Mm-hmm. That's I mean, okay so
1: if you have a if you have an earthquake and i say it's a and uh, okay we're going to ignore all the different types of magnitude right now <laughs> I, um, i'm going to say we just had a moment magnitude 4 earthquake and mm. i'm going to say we just had a moment magnitude 7.6 earthquake you instantly know that one of those is going to be a lot worse than the other
0: yes this is i've never thought about just integers like this in terms of you know
1: Whereas mm-hmm. if I say we just had an earthquake that released 10 to the 22 dying <laughs> in that <laughs> does, that means nothing to anyone other than a seismologist, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's exactly true. It's making science easily accessible to other people, right? Like Including th- other
1: scientists because your brain oh, well, can only hold so much at one time.
0: <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. So it's like this and index that we look at. It's like, is it going to be a severe weather day? You know, Um it's like if you say, we can say a lifted index of, you know, six or 10 or whatever, or minus six, which is bad, bad, bad. Um, (laughs) And it's like, what does that mean? But it's like, all I need to see is lifted index minus six. And I know bad, bad, bad. But it's like, if you really, you don't have time to think about, it's the temperature difference between the environmental, temperature and an air parcel lifted adiabatically at different heights throughout the troposphere. And it's like, I don't have time to analyze that. Tell me the number. <laughs> right. You know? So that's, um, yeah, that's interesting. And so, it's sort of
1: like we were talking about in this machine learning class today, too. Like, you know, somebody was saying, well, so you're optimizing some parameter in machine learning. And they were mm-hmm. like, well, would you pick, you know, these two are basically the same on my chart, but I pick five or six neighbors for this problem.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. And it's
1: like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Either one. And are like, well, do I pick the one that's, you know, higher or lower? Like, they have the same prediction accuracy to within less than a percent, which we know nothing that's going into the problem because it's all coming from well logs
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> to mm-hmm. even close to that. Yeah. But which one do I pick? It doesn't matter. <laughs> and it's it's sort of the same with this like is the lifted index going to tell you if there's going going to be a tornado over your head today? No. No. <laughs> but it gives you an idea if if I say if they say do I pick 5 or 500 neighbors, that tells me something about their data set and how scattered it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's
1: sort of the same thing. You get you get a intuitive sense of the generalized happenings
0: that is mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting Hmm. well i learned a lot more about this than i thought i would today i will say (laughs) 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 that was a lot of um that was a lot of sort of thinking about how we science which maybe we should do more
1: (laughs) yeah so Uh, You know, and I don't know about you, but I think I'm ready to uh, learn a lot more than I thought I would (laughs) about something as well in this week's Fun Paper Friday.
0: Uh, What's the point of this paper?
1: I have no idea.
0: Oh, you didn't get it. You ran over it. What's the point?
1: (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I can't come up with a good one for that. Sorry.
0: Because the paper is called Sword Swallowing and its Side Effects by Whitcomb and Meyer. <laughs>
1: I, I will summarize this sentence, or this paper in one sentence, which is sword swallowing can give you a sword throat.
0: Oh, they say that in there. That's not John's dad joke.
1: <laughs> nope. That is, that is a borrowed dad, dad joke, and that is from Whitcomb and Meyer.
0: Um, Did you notice that one of the authors is in several of the pictures, and he is a sword swallower?
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. and apparently knows most of these swords. Apparently, if you're a sword swallower, you are a part of a relatively small and very tight-knit community.
0: Um, They seem very tight-knit. Yes, that is true. This is the weirdest thing ever. So I did not find this, even though this is a... um, This is a BMJ article. I did not realize it was one, so I just... I didn't go straight to the BMJ to find this. I found this through other methods and thought this was crazy. (laughs) And, um, yeah. Basically, like, everything you think can happen when you swallow a sword, yeah, that stuff happens, basically. And mostly people just stop sword swallowing. They don't go to the doctor. That's what I got out of this paper.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so... You can puncture about anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I had to look up is... a lot of
0: those words. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> nobody is known to have died, they say.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um yeah.
1: But yeah, most people just stop until they heal. Uh, yeah. Though, yeah. <laughs> apparently people have been reported to die from swallowing other items, uh, um, which they listed. <laughs> this
0: list is... What?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so... We excluded cases in which injury was related to swallowing items other than swords, such as glass, neon tubes, spear guns, or wait for it, jackhammers.
0: <laughs> no other explanation. <laughs> nope that that sentence ever. is just
1: left to hang for the rest of the <laughs> paper.
0: Just out there. And I don't want to Google swallowing jackhammers. <laughs> Nope. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it's very hard to swallow oddly shaped swords. He says that many times in here. And many people have to give up sword swallowing because of dry mouth side effects from either you get dry mouth disease or dry mouth side effects or medication. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and they talk about the whole mm-hmm. process of learning how to swallow swords, which you have to, you know, first suppress the gag reflex. Then you have to learn how to relax this sphincter. Then you have to learn how to relax and align this and then relax this one. Yeah, um, and you
0: have to, like, hyperextend your neck backwards? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm.
1: And they talk about this move called the drop, which sounds utterly mm. terrifying to me. <laughs> which is. is where <laughs> you hold it up and let go. And you restrict its movement down by controlling those sphincters, but you literally just let it, let it plunge to the yeah. bottom and grab it with the sphincter when you need to. You
0: grab it with your muscles on the inside. It's a sword. What? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, one of these pictures is the author with seven swords in his throat.
1: And that's not the most that people do.
0: Oh my gosh! These statistics of how much, how many swords had collectively been swallowed by this very small group of mostly dudes. Was it was like old. two thousand
1: over the last three months. <laughs> over
0: three months, and it was only like forty dudes. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> so
1: the apparently um, in the study group, one person had swallowed sixteen swords together.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. And yes, these were vast, vast majority males. Uh, They found no correlation between body height and weight and length of sword that you could swallow, which they expected to find.
0: I thought that was very interesting, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how tall you are, essentially.
1: I mean, at some point it would, but my guess is if you get to that point, you're not worried about it. Yeah, you're more worried about the massive bleeding
0: you've done more than swallow the sword <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah and I mean the injuries are exactly what you'd expect right so you perforated your pharynx your esophagus um, neck surgeries and some of those just have to do with hyperextending your neck I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting and then I had to look the one up at the end which was when you puncture part of your colon because it's gone down so far
1: yeah. Ow. <laughs> and they also say something about, well, everybody's built different. So the angle at uh, which your, <gasps> yeah. your uh, gastroesophageal junction is made, like some people just can't do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Unless you get an x-ray, the way you find out is you puncture it.
0: <laughs> uh, exactly. Oh, my gosh. And I said one of the people that had brushed the heart with a sword. Oh, right? my God. Oh, my God, what? <laughs> and they, they talk
1: about the hazard of swallowing, and even they say in here, even though one of them is a sword swallower, that the the hazard in any individual performance is small, but over a career, the likelihood of injury is actually quite high.
0: Which, if you see these dudes have swallowed however many swords it was in the last three months, yeah, yeah, that's why it's high. <laughs> Because clearly this is a um, hyper-obsessive sport.
1: (laughs) I would say, I mean, I I, I get, like, I'm sure the things that, you know, I enjoy doing in my free time to half the people in the world seem absolutely bonkers. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would never in a million years (laughs) decide that this was a hobby I'm going to take up. But first, I have to train myself not to gag. Then I have to train myself not to vomit when I get to the next sphincter.
0: Yeah, they said that's a hard one. (laughs) Um, It says nine of these, like, tiny, you know, 41 or 50 people, 46 people, learned as teenagers how to do this. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I guess that's about the only time in life where you're like, yeah, this is a great idea.
0: Oh, my gosh. I bet this goes away because, you know, people are too busy with their phones now. They're not going to be like, I'm so bored. I'm literally going to stick this butcher knife down my throat. Well,
1: and there was one person. So they said first, like, you start with, you know, straws or tongue depressors and then you proceed to straightened coat hanger.
0: (laughs) I know. Like, like, that's the normal thing. Like, this is what you do. A a straightened coat hanger. Of course.
1: (laughs) And they, they did say that sometimes if you get distracted during your performance, those muscles can seize and you can't get the sword out without oh, injury.
0: That was crazy. And one of the persons involved was injured when the macaw on his shoulder while he was sword swallowing acted up.
1: <laughs> and another, this was the one that gave me the the ugh, was um, a belly dancer. Oh. And somebody, oh. she had multiple swords swallowed, and somebody was going to shove a tip. In her waistband yeah and it caused the swords to do like a scissor action because there were multiple of them and it just made a massive laceration
0: that's unbelievable oh and
1: it's not like you have nerves here so you don't know the injuries happen until you start getting other
0: right yeah they basically said things. like until like later on when it still feels weird or they're bleeding everywhere right mm-hmm yeah unbelievable that is very interesting
1: and if you really want to case of the willies, you can read the first part of the next paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's at the the bottom of the page from this one.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny. I was like, "What is this?"
1: Oh. <laughs> oh. Goodness. Yeah, I read it. And I said, "What is this?" Oh, oh, ow.
0: Um. <laughs> <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'll just. Yeah. I, we're just gonna let that one hang. You can follow the link and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and check out what we're talking about. I don't it's even have It's left as an exercise to the reader. Oh <laughs> uh. uh, yeah. Oh. My.
1: All right. Well, if you have <laughs> statistics on mortality rates in your favorite hobby, <laughs> or would like to tell us how many swords you can swallow at once. <laughs> <laughs> don't try this at home unless you're a trained professional Correct, shannon how can they get a hold of us
0: <laughs> show at don't you can find us on twitter we're at don't panic geo i'm at shannon Doolin. john is at geo underscore lehman um you can find us on the slack channel uh we're in the software underground the don't panic channel and as always thank you to our patreon supporters for Finding enough value out of our ramblings to help us pay um, to make this podcast. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Geo.
1: And if we were a YouTube channel, this is the point where we would say to like, subscribe, and smash that bell. But instead, (laughs) we're a podcast, so we'll just say if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about it. And until next week, remember, don't panic.
0: It's not an exact science.